even times that I went out of my way to try to avoid them, I would have a freak out. Something really, you know, shaking would happen. That, that, it was those moments that really freaked me out because they would even be retrocausal. It's like something that, you know, I'd be, I'd be dealing with a string of octopi synchronicities, weeks on end, turn off all the stimuli, then decide to like clean my room, like organize a box or something and come across a postcard that someone had given me before the octopi synchronicities even started that I had been carrying with me that had, uh, you know, uh, a stuffed octopus holding a baby stuffed octopus and, and it was sleeping. It was like dreaming, you know? And it's like, I had this before this even happened. And now in the moment when I needed to not see any fucking octopi, I find this thing that was with me the entire time, which then opens up your mind where you're like, it's this pattern recognition like in on steroids. You never quite get an answer. It's, it's so weird. And then your whole, your whole uh, timeline starts to unravel and everything just seems more and more crazy. And you're trying to figure out a way to text your friend about it. And it's like, I can't, I, like, how am I going to fit this in a text? You know, there's just no way. And that's like the really funny part about all of it is that it's taunting you. It's saying, I just added 15 more minutes onto your story that you, is already too long for you to explain to anybody. And so it just keeps getting more incredible. But the thing is, is that each story is like, it's just a piece of it and it doesn't make sense without the rest of it. And that is what's so maddening about these types of things. When you're in a synchronistic vortex, every single one from the start of it, they're all so important to the sense of otherness that comes along with it. Because otherwise it is just a coincidence. It's just a thing that someone is like, oh, that's weird. It's like, no, you don't even know the fucking half of it. You know, it's way beyond weird. It's beautiful. And it's horrifying. <laughs> yeah, it, I don't know. I'm, I'm very grateful that I'm still intact right now. Go this way. Okay. On a rugged cape over the Pacific. Yeah, when I was a kid, this was one of my favorite places to go. I introduced my friend Colin to my home. What? <laughs> That's amazing. Wow, okay. Yeah. In which draws striking parallels to his very story we are about to hear. What are we even looking at here? Well, we are looking at this gigantic tree, octopus tree. Looks like it's a spruce. And it basically looks like an octopus had a bad encounter with a wizard and was, you know, turned into a wooden statue of sorts, <laughs> you know? That's kind of what it makes me think about. Yeah. Wow, it's beautiful. And it, yeah, man, look. It's got such tentacle-like shapes all over it. The tree's name 
the octopus tree. I thought it was a little, a bit on the nose, but <laughs> that's not always the worst thing. Yeah, no, that's, that's the beacon. If it's on the nose, that's how you know. <laughs> that's how you nose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if this sinks for all just leading to this moment where we get lost in the woods and like sacrificed at the octopus tree. <laughs> That's what it was all about. It was trying to warn me. Let me know. Yeah. But nope. I'm Jim Perry. This is Euphemet, a show about the unknown and our relationship to it. This time, in the grip of synchronicity, grasping for breath, thrashing as pulled into the great deep below. Next, on Euphemet. Drifting into position, you align with the universe. You synchronize, and events unfold beneath you as the visions in your dreams become reality. These signs guides to something more divine, a connecting principle. Beyond meaningful coincidence, there is the phenomenon called synchronicity. Influential psychiatrist Carl Jung believed that sinks are directly related to the observer's mind and serve to provide powerful insight, direction, and guidance. Dreams, reoccurring names, numbers, events, this a-causal parallelism is two or more events where something other than the probability of chance is involved. For some, these events define their narrative and lead them on a journey of such self-discovery that where the sinks stop and coincidences begin would be but a guess, as the meaningful interactions mount and the evidence suggests a guiding hand, guiding us deeper into that unknown. I was with Colin Frangicetto on a dreamy spring night before the world went to shit. A neon sunset revealed every scar left on that ragged cliff where we explored the great octopus tree before descending onto the beach lit by crackling fire pits. It's as if a scene from a Circus Survive album cover, Colin's band, and our casual climb down on this night is nothing compared to Colin's own journey. His sinks, teaching him a new way to understand the strange events in his life, and as we'll hear, lead him deeper than most dare to go. I think the key to synchronicities is starting to see them as a language. And for me, that, that started, you know, years ago. I would, I would have these clusters where strange themed synchronicities would occur. But it would, only, it would usually be about you know, a day, a day, or a couple days, weeks at the most, but they'd be very sparse and they would feel like winks from the universe or from some other thing. And I never really 
ever got the sense that it was anything more than a glitch or something, you know, uh, it would make me feel a sense of awe, like the video game of life had a programming error, you know, something like that. Um, but it would be so quick and sparse that it would be there and then it'd be gone and I'd have a, a chuckle or a mouth agaped moment and then it would pass. And over the years, I started noticing that they would seem to occur in these clusters either in transitional periods of my life where things were kind of in flux or moments of profound change were approaching. I also noticed that when I would do psychedelics that afterwards there would be a period of time like a window period where they could occur a little more frequently, a little more pronounced. And I think I eventually started attributing this to brain function and how psychedelics will increase your ability to perceive pattern and recognize pattern. It's like, oh, uh, well, uh, I just get a little more attuned to the wallpaper, <laughs> the invisible wallpaper, if you will. I think in a lot of ways that it is like an addiction in that you, when you're in the midst of these things, they truly make you feel alive in the fullest sense because you're now, now your, your normal mundane everyday environment has literally come to life. When I think back to especially the beginning of of Circa for instance, you know, when when that band started I was so dialed in and connected to the mystery and the sense of awe in which I <clears throat> really would wake up into every day of somehow I have dreamed this into existence. That That is the way I, I would feel a lot. And, and a lot of my, I guess you could say, spiritual practice would revolve around creativity and this blind faith that if you put everything you have into what makes you feel most alive and you give it everything that you have that somehow this there's this invisible force that's going to give back to you and provide for you and watch out for you and when you're focused in that way and you have that kind of simplicity guiding you the way that that brings magic into your life is very profound and very pronounced and it would happen all the time.
Living in Philly with his then wife and with Circa in between tours and albums, money was getting tight. But Colin had a deep urge. He wanted to branch out and expand his creative outlets. So even though the bills kept coming in, he diverted his creative attention and he began to paint. That's when an offer came in. The opportunity to do his first solo art show had a well-known gallery in town. So normally most artists I would say would prepare for a solo show they would have a year in advance and I got offered this show sort of as a fluke because this this gallery had opened up they needed a guinea pig and it wound up shaking out to I would have about three and a half months of solid uninterrupted prep before the show to make it happen which is like a quarter of what most artists who are experienced get. So for me, this being my first solo show ever, I was like, fuck, like this is like a perfect example of how things have unfolded for me in my life. It's like, people are always like, oh man, like you're just always doing stuff. I'm like, yeah, because I constantly say yes to things that scare the shit out of me. You know, that's basically my, that is my creative process and how I stay you know keep momentum it's like i should have said no to that any logical person would have said no to that and i said yes you know of course you're gonna give me this huge space to do whatever i want with like and it's whatever i say goes you know and i was like okay the opening night was a smash you know there was all these people there people were waiting at door and like i thought like oh my god it's all it's all happening and then sold nothing you know i had been it was kind of like popped my my reality bubble in a way it was like it was like what do you what do you think you're doing you know like now you now your bills are due and you've done zero work over the last you know a few months other than for this show it's like all i did was live breathe this show for three and a half, four months. And I felt like a fool. I was like, I spent most of the, the opening crying in, in my ex's car. It led to me wanting to quit art after that show. And, you know, I was like, I'm kidding myself. I need to go get him. I just need to suck it up and go get a job. So I was like making my resume. My parents and my family at the time were like, I, you know, you think you're maybe jumping the gun a little bit? And because I guess they saw something in what I was doing and believed in me. And so I was like, I said in my head, like, I'll give it another week. We'll see what happens. In the meantime, I'm going to hustle like crazy. My dad's like, here, just take this 40 bucks, you know? And I'm like, and I'm like, I love you. I don't want your 40 bucks or whatever. Um, I drove to the bar in Doylestown where I usually would get takeout all cash place i go inside and i go to get 20 dollars out of out of the the atm and i put the card in and i'm i'm sitting there and i'm hitting 20 dollars and it fucking spits out 40 and i just sat there like what i was like i didn't even like I didn't even finish the transaction. I had pressed 20. I didn't even go through the whole thing. And I looked down and there's $40 in there. And I don't know if it spat it out or if it was already sitting there or what. 
but I like looked around. No one's paying any attention. Okay. I grab the $40 and I go up to the bar. I'm like, did anybody like leave money in the ATM or anything? Like it was like, I was a ghost. No one's even listening to me. The bartender's just like, nope. Like, and I just started like laughed. And I was like, that's so weird. Like, that's a good omen. And then as I get home and I open my first beer, sit down and take an e- you know, open my email and it's an email from the gallery. Hey, we sold two paintings today. And I was like, fuck. All right. I'm not quitting. But that's really like a pretty pivotal moment in, in my relationship with all this stuff because after that turnaround, you know, with the 40 bucks and, and just that whole strange little pocket of um, good fortune, I never half-assed made a resume again. <laughs> you know, I never um, convinced myself after that moment. It's like I committed fully at that point. The Part of that is like me being stubborn and saying and fully committing and the other part of it is me saying something's on my side in the cold gray winter of 2016 some believe that politics witnessed the unreal an unbelievable turn in leadership, which left many feeling the weight of the world. Colin, now living in Portland, Oregon, spun out. I had an unraveling of sorts where I was going through depression of sorts. You know, I went to the deepest, darkest depression I've ever gone through in my life, and I've gone through some really hard ones before. It was in the the aftermath of the election and I had gone through this intense ultra political sort of meltdown where it put me into this strange addiction cycle of like watching cable news and sort of being addicted to outrage and just being in this weird place where I felt like the world was so much sadder and so much scarier in a very human sense, you know, like not in the paranormal sense, like it was scary on a whole nother level. And, but I think because of the compiling of the darkness of winter out here, and then also the darkness of our time and the darkness of the material that I was constantly engaged in all this political stuff and this just fighting with people online and just constantly having this vitriol kind of run through my veins. I think it just did a number on me and eventually hit this breaking point after about three months of that or something like that, where I was just like, all right, that's it. You know, no more TV, like canceled the fucking the cable and um, just stopped cold Turkey with all the, the politics stuff and found myself adrift in a lot of reflection yeah I started realizing I needed some healing in that way so I was gonna you know go back to the mushroom which I I used the mushroom for years as you know sort of my closeted antidepressant 
because I noticed this correlation with my depression where I would do that and then I would have, you know, a few months of like just completely no symptoms and feel total relief in that way. And it would connect me back with my ability to be creative and, and to be loving and all this stuff. So I took a, a couple small um, microdoses of psilocybin and this is when I started to re-engage with my psychedelic self. You know, some of that will 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 be taking medicines again and, and kind of seeing where it leads me, but mostly it's about a state of mind and a state of, um, you know, being. So after hitting a breaking point, Colin starts microdosing again and finds a more desired state of mind, a better state of being, just in time for hitting the road with his band. It was again. like towards the end of May. We were out in this, you know, traveling around and overseas, going to Australia um, and Hawaii with my band. I was having this insane sensation. It was like the feeling of just being overwhelmed with joy thank you for joining us this evening but as if it was like somehow as if there was like a gas pedal for it and someone just had their foot like to the floor and the gas was just going and it was like I was waking up in this state of bliss like all the time these international journeys are very expensive and they take a huge toll on us um, because you're you're flying like every day and normally it's like you're, you're having like 4 a.m. lobby calls, going to the next city, checking in, you know, whenever you land a couple hours later, and then you have like a minute to rest and then you go right to the club and then you're setting up your own shit and you're doing it and you're, then you get done at one in the morning and then you go, you know, so it's just relentless. And we were doing that and I was still waking up every day, just heart full of love, feeling this weird vibration in my chest. And eventually we get to Hawaii and I think it was like everyone was just in a super up mood by the time we got there because we knew we were getting there and then going to have a day off and then play a show and then go home and we were done. So it was like, all right, we made it to Hawaii. It's fucking beautiful here. We have a day off. Then we find out, oh, actually we have two days off our day-to-day -day manager had fucked up somehow. And it was like, whoops, like you actually have two days off the show until this day. So we had this Airbnb on the North Shore in Honolulu and it was on the beach. And it was like amazing. It was like the most perfect, like, like, oh yeah, this is exactly what we need right now. And I had sort of joked, um, because we we've never taken psychedelics as a band together. Um, we'd always talked about it, sort of in a joking manner, but also in a semi-serious way. The next day, Brendan out of nowhere is like, hey, so um, somebody I, I actually know here who I'm getting into the show just hit me up and asked if like we want mushrooms. And I, I was just like, okay. I was like, yes. And so... They come, they they give us these mushrooms, which are just like insane looking, and they give us an extra warning, like these are very, very potent, take way, way less than you would normally, <clears throat> all this stuff. 
Anyway, they so they're like about to take off and they're headed into town with Brendan and we start our experience basically right after they go. We went out to the beach. We had taken, you know, our doses and then we went right out to the beach um, and it was probably about an hour or so before sundown. And I was having a nice little chat with Nick, our bass player. He's He's very like science-minded, very logical, very skeptical of anything supernatural or, you know, if he sees, like, a, a video of something happening on the internet, he'll literally be like, that's fake, <laughs> you know, like, that, that's kind of it. Um, he and I, we were having a lot of dialogue throughout this experience because it was our first time tripping together. And he is on the beach we, we would just you know started it's like the come up period after you take them where you start feeling this kind of like your stomach feels a little funny you're feeling like some anxiety everything's starting to ramp up colors are getting more vivid uh sounds are getting more like you know delays and everything is a little funny and we noticed that our group is starting to sort of migrate down and walk the beach. And at the at the kind of like leading the charge to go down the beach is Anthony, our, our singer, one of my best friends, and um, a guy who's always sort of put Nick and I in a role of, you know, kind of a parental role, if you will, over the years. You know, we kind of would have to look out for Anthony and. You know, it's ebbed and flowed over the, over the years, but there's definitely like a trigger inside of us where, when we're taking psychedelic drugs together, that seeing Anthony walk off is sort of anxiety-inducing. You're like, oh no, like should we go? F-? You know, so that instinct kicked in right away, and we all start sort of following him down. You know, but we're all like in this weird like you know gravity feels strange and. The sun is like starting to descend and 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 Nick and I are talking and he's like, you know, I can tell he's getting anxiety about Anthony and I'm just like, yeah, dude, that's cool. Like, like he just needs to be like, go make a solo record, you know, <laughs> like, like, you know, like that's <laughs> everything starts to become metaphorical. And I was just like, you know, he's going to be fine. Um, but so to like get his mind off of it, I start I start trying to think of things to talk about. And I pulled out this little nugget from when I was on the plane listening to a podcast. Basically, there was a a whole group of scientists had made this paper that had just surfaced where they were proposing a high likelihood that cephalopod DNA had originated in space. And that, you know, basically insinuating that cephalopods could be, you know, from outer space. And that's where they were you know, originated from. And I thought it was super interesting. And so I bring that up out of nowhere, like in the conversation. And I'm like, like, have you heard this thing? You know? And Nick's like, no, he's like, that's kind of crazy. He's like, that doesn't make sense to me. You know? Cause of course it doesn't make sense to him. And <laughs> he's like, and, and he's like, uh, why do they think that? And I was, and I start going, you know, I start to butcher the theory and try to like, retell how you know they're saying it has to do with their RNA their ability to change their RNA on the fly and how you know it's it's unlike any other species 
And and then of course I talk about how you know they they can change their color and how they can change how they look to communicate or whatever. And and he's like, yeah, he's like it's not just them that can do that, you know. I was like, I guess like chameleon can do that too. It's like, yeah. And so we're, we're talking about that. Meanwhile, we're walking and like we don't we can't see Anthony anymore. And I'm like, shit, like the sun is going down. This is not good. And as soon as I say that, out of the corner of my eye, like it's like the video you've seen of, of like octopi underwater where like they're not there and all of a sudden they're there. Like this totally happened with Anthony, like right in front of me. It was so bizarre. I didn't put this together at all. I wasn't like, oh, that just, that was like an octopi. It was like, it just happened. And I was like, holy shit. I'm like, like I heard, I hear him go like, like he says something. And I was just like, Anthony? And he was just there. And he's like, yeah, I've been here this whole time. He's just like, have you, did you not hear me? He's like, yeah, it was weird. Like when you guys were like talking about like the octopus or whatever, I'm over here, like, hanging out with this, like, little squid guy over here having this conversation. And, like, there was, like, this little, like, baby squid, like, in this in the shallows over by where he was on these rocks. So he was having this weird <laughs> synchronicity with it while we were talking about it. Y'all lay down, taking in the stars felt like we were all in outer space together floating around and just talking about the cosmos and and what have you so I see Nick get up and start heading for the house and I was like okay I'm I'm due for a break too I'll follow him in we walk in together and we're both feeling it still at this point and we walk in and all of a sudden, Brendan walks back in. He's back from his, you know, in-town adventure with the other the people that gave us the mushrooms and stuff. And we're both like, you know, super bug-eyed and just like laughing. And it's like, Brendan's home. Yeah. Like, we're like, what did you do? And we're like, just trying to sort of act human while we're, while we're in, interacting with him. And he can tell how much effort is going into us. Just like, you know, how are you? You know, looking at him. He's like, it was good, you know. I, I got some presents for T, which is his daughter. I'm like, oh, cool. What did you get? He's like, here, let me show you. And he opens up his bag and he pulls out a stuffed chameleon. And I instantly, like, just did a double take and looked at it and I was like, and I looked over at Nick and Nick's looking at me. And I was like, that's weird. I was like, we were just talking about chameleons he's like yeah but look at the look at what it says and i like i open up this little tag that's hanging from it and it says hi i'm colin the chameleon please take care of me and i was just like whoa that's fucking weird he's like you know what's really weird he's like i just wanted to grab something that you know i thought t would like and it wasn't until I was up at the register trying to make a decision between this and another one. And then I saw that and I felt like, oh fuck, well I have to get this now. And I was like, wow, 
He's like, he's like, I wound up getting both of them though. And he grabs into his bag and he pulls out a stuffed octopus. And Nick and I just lost our fucking minds and start laughing. I start crying. And I was like, I fucking knew it. Like, I just say like, and Nick just goes, what the fuck? I, I was in a mystical state for the rest of the night where I was just like dumbfounded and truly in this like extreme gratitude, you know, this just bubble of gratitude that I was in feeling like, my God, I just got like a wave from God. You know, I just got some kind of like, like if, if not God, some type of godlike entity had just reached in and like tickled me you know so that that whole night was all I could think about for weeks you know Over the years, the octopus kept following Colin, showing up in notes from friends and shared sinks. We're in his kitchen in Portland, going through photographic evidence while his dogs play at our feet. There was periods within within this this whole vortex where I was scared of it's like I'd get paralyzed because it was like I was scared for them to stop. I wouldn't know what to make of that but I was also scared for them to increase because it felt because it did feel like a steady increase of intensity and pointedness and it's like there's some kind of weird virus on my reality portal but it's a funny and positive one so why do I care you know it's not like it's not like uh, draining me of my, my life force or anything, you know, or like sending me off of cliffs or, you know, giving me any kind of bad luck. It was all good stuff. So, but there were times where, yeah, it increasingly would feel more and more like interacting with an entity or, or a super intelligence, which I could only quiver in the presence of at, at times because it was like, if this really is what it, what I'm perceiving it to be, then it's so much more intelligent than I am and it's so much more powerful than I am because it's literally reaching into my existence, my reality, and shaking it up and showing me things and kind of laughing at me. Guys, what are you doing? Hey, no humping. It's your brother, you weirdo. Back on the beach, Colin's memory of the octopus is triggered once again. This time, though, an interaction closer than ever expected. 
So this is feeling like that night in Hawaii. It is. It's it's a lot colder, <laughs> but uh, but other than that, it does bring me back. Especially because we're at like the twilight like hour right now. You know, like being being in this moment where the sun's going down. Because that's when we took them. We took them right before the sun was going down. We, we, and like little did I know that like you know just a couple hours later that my my life would never be the same again. <laughs> you know. So there was like the walk on the beach as everything was setting in was truly it was a portal it's like that person that I was before I walked down that beach is dead <laughs> I don't know who that person is you know I'm not that person anymore I feel like I walked through a tunnel and I never turned around <laughs> um are you ready to go into this tunnel out over here? Yeah, absolutely. Are we going into a literal tunnel right now? We're going now? into a literal tunnel. Okay, great. <laughs> I mean, if there isn't enough symbology, yeah. <laughs> right? Let's, let's throw a little bit more. Yeah. Title of this episode is On the Octopus's Nose. <laughs> Very cool. This is insane, dude. Wow. Stand right here, you can see light on the other side. Oh my god, look at that. Jesus, dude. That is so cool. Holy shit. Oh my god, that's amazing. Sorry, as you can tell, I can't, like, I can't push away the urge to document. I just like always want to document. <laughs> I love it. You should probably come and do more of these with me. Yeah, dude, I would absolutely love it. Whoa, be careful. That one isn't so sturdy. Do you need a hand at all? Uh, I think I got it. Okay. I did, I did have an encounter in Peru where we, we finally were face to face and spoke. It was like we finally had a moment of true communication that wasn't veiled in synchronicity or strange poltergeisty activity. It was like, oh, I'm seeing a vision of this ginormous octopus in front of me and it's telepathically sending words into my brain. And uh, yeah, we, we had a moment. We talked it out a little bit. Was was this with help with uh, ayahuasca? This was yeah. This was ayahuasca. Yeah, this was ayahuasca. Uh, all these synchronicities and all this stuff eventually started leading me to Peru. It started leading me to go on this journey, and it was leading me to ayahuasca in a lot of ways. And it was starting to freak me out going into this experience. I, I I worked this out with my my psychedelic therapist and stuff too. I was like, I feel like I'm going to have an encounter. Like I feel like there's going to be a confrontation. What if I like have to meet this thing and it's. And it's not an octopus. The octopus is just the mask that it's wearing. And I'm like, I, I don't, I'm scared of what it is. And so, you know, of course, like any good psychedelic therapist, she was like, you must talk to it. <laughs> you must face it. It was at the, the most excruciating experience of my life. And uh, what's supposed to be a four to five hour experience stretched out for upwards of 14. 14? Yeah, yeah. And, Holy fuck, and for, and over half of it, I was, 
debilitated to the point where I like couldn't move in a lot of ways without feeling totally dizzy and uh, nauseous, but then couldn't puke. Uh, I, I, call, I started calling it, I was in purgatory because <laughs> I like needed to purge, but I couldn't. And it spiraled out from taking the medicine initially, getting paralyzed by how, how quick the onset was and how powerful it was, and then instantly realizing that I needed to pee. <laughs> and I started going into this spiral of basically all of all myself just fractured into a million different parts but then two parts started arguing with each other one part was you need to ask for help and the other part was fuck you no I don't <laughs> and um, and then that just fucking spiraled out into an experience with infinity and I was in this void and it felt like This was a test, and if I didn't ask for help, then the entire world and our existence was going to come to an end. The world was going to explode, and all I had to do was get over my pride and ask for help so I could go peek. <laughs> um, and the stubborn part of me took hold and just would not. And eventually I started descending into this state in which I thought I had died and I thought that everyone in the room had died too. I thought that we had poisoned ourselves and we had all drank this shit and we were dead. Or we were in some kind of weird liminal state where the rules of reality didn't apply. We all got put into this purgatory and it all depended on me asking for help to get us out. And I was like, let the motherfucker burn. Finally dragged myself to the bathroom, stumbled into there, peed, no relief. It was like I didn't pee at all. And I got it in my head that this would now be my punishment. This would be the state that I would exist in for the rest of my life where no joy, no relief, no somatic sensation of like, oh, it's nice to be alive. I lost that privilege by being an asshole and not asking for help. And uh, so, you know, more and more hours later. At this point now, I was thinking more illogical and definitely more in the, the realm of the unreal and thinking all these things that normally I would never think. You know? I would never convince myself that I could never have joy again. That's a ridiculous idea. But I was absolutely 100% certain of it. And... Um, and it truly felt that I'd already been through an eternity. When I was inside of that ceremony house, I was like, this is forever. This really is forever. And I stayed in the ceremony house all night. And there was people in there, and they were all mostly people who were struggling too. People who were sick or just like, ow. And uh, so I was in there, felt... I all of a sudden, I was getting these overwhelming waves of visions happening while I was in there. I was looking up into the center of the roof of the ceremony house. Just this dark void. 
And because there was a pool outside, I think the reflections of the water and the, the lights that had been turned back on on the outside started causing this weird water effect to go cast onto the, the top. All of a sudden, I'm just like at the bottom of the ocean. Like that's where I was. And it's like I was still in the ceremony house. I, I knew that, but part of my mind, if not half of it, was at the bottom of the ocean. And I'm just in this weird, strange dream. And it was the most painful and visceral sense of loneliness that I'd ever felt. It was like, this is eternity and it's just you. It is just you. And I'm just sitting there while I was laying <laughs> and um, staring up at, you know, these waves. And I stare up and I just see this enormous octopus. And I just say, oh, great. This was the only moment I think I ever would have been prepared to face it. Because you know what the first thing I felt when I saw it? Relief. Oh, there you are. I'm not alone. Um, any other time, I think I would have been terrified. But I had actually felt like I had somehow gone to the other side of the abyss. And I was alone there. And I was like, wow. So this is what it's like to just not be anything. Or this is what it's like to just not have anyone or anything. And it's just you echoing forever. And all of a sudden, I had a friend. And I was feeling like this wave of gratitude, but also this wave of shame because I felt like it basically, it telepathically said to me, this is what it is to be me. And I just started weeping. I just started crying because I felt like I had done that to it. I had cast it into this void of not having anyone. I had tried to cast it into the realm of not existing. And it was like, I was getting this, ex like just the most powerful teaching on companionship and humanity and loneliness. And goddamn, I felt so grateful for this fucking interdimensional octopus. So I was like, thank you, you know, like, thank you for showing me how blind I was being. And all of a sudden it was like, I befriended it. And I felt like, like, if this was my subconscious having to teach me a lesson, sure, man, I'll take it. That's fine. Did it feel like more than that? Fuck yeah, <laughs> definitely did. I like a lot more. Oh. That's yeah, I was definitely remembering it so much. I feel much like of it. we're in like the bottom of the ocean right now. I know. In some ways. Like, yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. So we're exiting the tunnel and just going to the secret beach that's on the other side, essentially. And there's no one out here and it's dark. Thank you for listening to this edition of You For Men. 
Colin has a Patreon, and so does Circa Survive. Find those links in the show notes. I want to thank Colin Francisello for the incredible score as well. Thank you to our sponsors, Shudder and Anchor. For everything you've met, including how you can subscribe to the show, links to our Patreon and social media, visit euphemet.com. This has been Euphemet, and I'm Jim Perry. Until next time, keep looking up.